Peter Williams from One O'Clock on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio RCR. Great to have David Seymour join us. I'm on the other side of the world in the French city of Bordeaux, a couple of days' drive from Paris and the Rugby World Cup final. Great to have you with us, David. You ever been to this part of the world? I've been to Paris, but I, I haven't been to Bordeaux. Um, but I'm told that as you get older, you discover that red wine's actually quite good. Yes, I am beginning to uh, come to that conclusion myself. <laughs> David, uh, any feelings at this stage about how the special votes are going to go? Um, well, there's a few schools of thought. I mean, one is that generally uh, the specials are people who, um, you know, don't register to vote where they cast their vote on the day. And who does that tend to be? People that move around a lot, um, people who aren't homeowners, students, so on. Um, and they're people that tend to vote more left. So that's your kind of starting point and you receive wisdom. However, uh, there's a few things. There's a lot more overseas votes than usual. Um, and while the overseas vote's only about 80,000 out of the 570-odd, um, you have to ask yourself, why are there more people voting overseas than normal? I suspect overseas people pretty annoyed that the Ardern government basically locked them out of their country for a couple of years. Um, and there's also a general swing against the government. So uh, those are some reasons why you might think that maybe uh, the votes are going to go more in the direction uh, of the right than usual. Uh, and if that means that ACTA National keep a majority by themselves, I think that's all the better for um, getting the kind of change that people voted for and having a, a stable, united government deliver it. Why does it take so long to count these specials? And should there be progress tallies along the way. If there's 20%, five to 600,000 of these special votes, why can't we have progress on the count like we do on election night? Well, it's a couple of good questions. I mean, why, why does it take so long? I guess it's in part because you look at the classic, um, you know, kid from Auckland, uh, get, turns 18 at high school, gets excited, registers to vote at their parents' house, um, goes off to Waikato for uni a couple of uh, years later, does their first vote, um, and, of course, they forgot to re-register in, in Hamilton West instead of, uh, you know, ta Tamaki, for example. Um, and so then that vote has to be taken back from Hamilton to the Tamaki returning officer and counted as a Tamaki vote. And, uh, you know, obviously that happens with every single electorate votes going in every direction. So it does take them some time to do it. Um, could they have a tally? I, I guess they could. Um, but, you know, ultimately, if you want to respect the right of every person to vote, even if maybe they weren't so good at keeping up their registration, um, then I guess this is the way you've got to do it. Why is it three weeks instead of two in the previous election? Uh, that's because the outgoing government uh, passed a law at the end of last year uh, which said that you can basically do a walk-up register on the day um, and therefore your vote still counts. I, I think it could be done quicker. I think if you look at the Electoral Commission, um, they spend a lot of time talking about how they're going to run the election, deal with disinformation. You know what? It would have been good if they just um, printed the voting packs and sent them out on time, uh, maybe got their IT system working so it didn't crash on election day. Um, and I tell you what, a lot of people would have appreciated if they remembered to print those stickers. <laughs> yes, because... Of, so, uh, the, the, and the stickers don't really matter, but it's just an example of 
there were a lot of little basic things they didn't get right and a lot of big things that they pontificated about. And I think that pretty much sums up how government's been operating for the last few years and what we need to change. Yeah, because it occurs to me with a two-week pre-voting period and then three weeks afterwards, that's a five-week election. In the yeah, 21st well, century, in a country like New Zealand, that's ridiculous, isn't it? It's bad, it's bad enough the rugby season goes from February to November now, um, and now the election takes almost two months as well. So a two-headed coalition or a three-headed coalition? What's your gut feeling about it? Do you believe that you're going to be able to stay where you are uh, with a two-headed majority? even if there's going to be 123, 124 in the parliament? Well, it'll end up being, it'll end up being um, you know, opinion without information. I mean, I've, I've, as I said earlier, there's, you know, there's a reason to think that the specials will favour the left. Uh, there's a reason to think this time might be different. Nobody really knows. We'll, we'll see the results. Um, you know, I'm pretty clear, as ACT and National have both said throughout the campaign, their strong preferences to work with each other. There's a lot of big challenges that New Zealand needs to overcome, and it's going to be a bit harder to do that with three than two. Um, but ultimately, you know, we're all Democrats. So if the parliament is uh, what it is, then we'll deal with what it is and uh, do our best to deliver for the people who trusted their party vote uh, with ACT. And actually, all of New Zealand that just needs uh, a better way forward because we can't go on the way that we have been, not just for the last six years. I would argue if you look at you know low wages, high prices, if you look at kids not attending school, if you look at the challenge of actually building enough houses for all the people that want to live here, those are things that are actually 20-year problems. Uh, and the reason I'm an act is that we, we need another force uh, to make sure that we solve those problems in a really diligent way. Because... Are you disappointed at the final act percentage? In the end, you've only got, I think, one more MP than what you had in the previous parliament. Yet at one stage, you were tracking at, what, 18% in one Roy Morgan poll. That was probably a bit unrealistic. You talked about being a 15% party. You finished up being, what, a 9% party. Are you disappointed in that? Not really. I mean, if you look at any any party like ACT um, or any time in the last 25 years of ACT, um, any leader of ACT, including me, in fact, any leader of any third party, uh, would sit there dreaming of uh, doing an interview and people saying, oh, you, are you disappointed you got a record result? Are you disappointed you got 11 MPs in? Are you disappointed that, you know, whatever happens, you're going to be a key part of a, a new government? Um, that, that's that's a fantasy. <laughs> So obviously, you know, would you have liked to have done better and got, you know, 15, 20%? I mean, hell, I would have liked to get 51%. But uh, if you look at where we are, you'd have to be pretty happy uh, with the way that acts come out. And if you're someone who gave your party vote to act, I can tell you, you you'll get more bang for your buck that way in terms of real change uh, than any other way you could have gone. Okay, so when it comes to absolute non-negotiables with national, what's top of the list, David? Well, if you look at the things that need to happen for New Zealand, uh, first of all, we've got to get clear on what our treaty means, because at the moment, uh, we've had 40 years of the courts, the Waitangi Tribunal, the public service, everyone but the parliament and as the representative of the people, uh, telling us what this treaty means, and increasingly telling us that it divides us into tangata whenua, 
land people, Tangata Tiriti, treaty people, um, and that is, first of all, not actually what the treaty called for, but second of all, um, it's not actually a model that has worked anywhere in the world, failed in many places in the world, but not one that's worked anywhere in the world, so it's got to be got clear. I think the second thing is, uh, you know, we've got a government that's 30% up in its spending, um, but do we have more kids going to school? No. Are they learning more? No. Are the roads better? No. Um, are the streets safer? No. Are more prisoners getting rehabilitation and reoffending less? No. I mean, basically anything. You go to your GP, is that easy? And no. Can you get an operation if your GP asks for you to have an operation? No. I mean, you know, how did they manage to spend 30% more money after inflation? Per person, I mean, we're not doing any tricks here. This is, you know, thirty percent increase in spending, thirty percent increase in the core bureaucracy, and they're not getting results. So we've got to find ways uh, to make sure that each government department has clear targets, is accountable to the minister, uh, and starts to deliver instead of all the other distractions that the current government, I guess, or the, the government that's going out, uh, has got the bureaucracy tied up with. Um, and then the final thing is. We've got to get crime under control. I mean, this country uh, is supposed to be a good place to bring up kids. That's that's how we think of ourselves. Uh, and yet, uh, what we see in New Zealand is a place where instead of feeling safe to send your kid to the dairy to get an ice block in, in the summer, um, actually, people are leaving the country, having come here to run a dairy, uh, saying it was safer back where I came from. Um, that, that's, that's not New Zealand. So it's got to be more consequences for criminals got to be more rights uh, for victims if we can do those things then suddenly you've got a place that's more affordable to live uh, better public services clear sense of what it means to be a New Zealander in our place in it regardless of your background uh, and safe to go to the dairy again. Okay can we go back to the treaty principles bill that you want to bring into the house are you going to get support from the Nats for it? Well, again, we're in the middle of a negotiation, but I, I think what's clear in the argument that we're making uh, is that if we allow this thing uh, to keep growing the way it is, uh, then where we get to is a New Zealand where the normal expectation is that your political rights, your place in the society, depend on which side of this treaty partnership you belong to. Uh, that can't continue, uh, and that's the argument that we're putting to them. Uh, and I think that we're going to see some real movement there. But again, you know, in the middle of a negotiation, kind of hard to say what the outcome is. True. Luxon's a bit soft on it uh, at the moment anyway in his statements. But you're absolutely right, surely, that Parliament is the ultimate lawmaker in this country. I found it, quite frankly, ridiculous and rather remiss of parliaments for the last, what, nearly 50 years now to insert this phrase into legislation without, without ever defining it. I mean, that's a, a bad mistake on the part of parliamentarians for nearly half a century, isn't it? Well, that's exactly our argument, and it, it sounds like you might have been reading a very good piece by Elizabeth Rata um, recently where she said, you know, there's two versions of the treaty. There's what the treaty says, and then there's the interpretive treaty. And the interpretive treaty is, has been made entirely by uh, the courts, the bureaucracy, the Waitangi Tribunal, but, but not by Parliament uh, that, that said that there are principles. Um, so if the Parliament says there's principles, rather than letting everyone else except for democracy decide what they mean, uh, we just think it's time for the people to have a say. And we think it would be good if not only did Parliament legislate what the principles are, but we let the people have a vote 
uh, to say that's part of our constitution now. And I think if we were to do that, uh, we would find ourselves in a much more united country. So what do you make then of the threats by the Maori Party? In fact, I've just read a piece on stuff this evening here in France. Uh, various Maori uh, people have been quoted in the article by Joel Maxwell saying they're going to go to Parliament, there'll be protesting, there could be violence. Uh, Tamahiri has said, you know, we're going to throw out 40 years of treaty jurisprudence. What do you make of, well, it's um, it's it's pretty threatening comments by, by people like John Tamahiri at the Maori Party. Are they helping the cause at all by saying these things? No, I, I mean, that kind of politics is more normal where you are in France. They say, oh, if we... We believe in democracy, but if we don't get our way, we'll riot. Um, I think that's unreasonable. I think it's irresponsible. I'd add in James Shaw, who's made similar comments. Now, you know, while obviously there's a lot of things I disagree with the Greens and James Shaw, he's usually a bit more responsible. Um, uh, look at that Joel Maxwell article. Uh, you know, he interviewed me for that. I just said, well, you know, what's your methodology? You're saying this is what Maori think. I mean, what did what did you actually do? It seems that. Um, I found a few people on the street said, oh, you Maori, what do you think? And, and that's now supposed to represent all of Maori. And one thing I do know is that um, there's not one Maori way of thinking. Uh, many Maori are actually completely on act side of this debate. Um, and the second thing I know is that it shouldn't actually matter because one of the mistakes here in the premise of his article is that your identity matters more than what you think or what your values are. Our view is that, you know, it's not who you are, but what you do that should count in life. And also a question posed by, I think, Morris Williamson on election night. What is a Maori, David? Are you one? Well, I absolutely am. I mean, you know, some of my ancestry is Maori, and I'm very proud of that part of my background. Um, but, you know, equally, um, also uh, part Scottish um, and with a name like Seymour, uh, mostly English. Yeah, so in other words... So many thousands of New Zealanders have a little bit of Maori and a little bit of plenty of other stuff. So why is there such a, a movement then amongst a certain group of people to say that their Maoriness is the most important part of their being? Yeah, I, I think there's a danger you get down in the weeds and you actually end up sounding exactly like what we're opposed to. Um, I'm in favour of universal human rights, our common humanity. You know, if people that study these things say that, 99.9% um, .9 of, of human DNA is identical for all humans. And yet there's people that are so focused on that other 0.1%. Uh, it, it's really a, an ugly uh, part of human nature to, to try and divide and, and focus on differences. Uh, I'm, in, I'm interested in what do we have in common? Well, we all need to get more homes built. That means we need better infrastructure. It'd help if we had better education uh, and we need to work out how to get investment into New Zealand and make New Zealand a wealthier place because then we can afford better healthcare. Now, th those are things that every New Zealander has in common. Um, and instead of focusing on, oh, well, I'm a bit different and something happened 200 years ago, I I'm more interested in how do we join hands and solve those problems um, focused on a, a universal reality. You know, there's not two different types of science. There's one science, there's one world, and a universal humanity. There's not many different types of human that are fundamentally different. There's there's one humanity uh, with different cultures that are interesting and important, um, but they're smaller than the things that unite us. All right. So let's go through the mechanics. If things go well in the negotiations with Luxon and the Nats, you want to put a bill in place that we as the electors, the, the constituents, 
will vote on in the 2026 general election. You will put up a treaty principles bill, which will be passed by the parliament, and then it's up to the public to confirm or deny, a la the End of Life Act. Yeah, that's that's exactly the, the analogy of the End of Life Choice Act. If you look at um, the, the treaty principles, that the government, not parliament, but the government in 1989 actually published the, the government's uh, principles, and they're pretty good. Uh, they say the government has the right to govern and make laws. They say that everybody is equal before the law. Uh, they say that iwi have the right to organise as iwi and, and manage their property. Well, yeah, so does everybody. Um, and they say that the Crown and, and iwi should consult each other and uh, be respectful and, and issues of mutual concern. Well, I, again, I have no trouble with that. I think the government should do that uh, with everybody. A, a lot of the problems we've had lately have stemmed from the government failing to uh, consult uh, and listen, and that's actually led to a lot of social divisions. So, you know, if you look at the 1989 principles, they're about right. But that's just a, a basically a, a statement that the government published. It's not a law passed by Parliament. I think if it was a law passed by Parliament, we'd, we'd be in a much better place. All right, let's move to education, David. Do you want to be the minister? Um, well, I do, but there's there's quite a few things that I, I think need to get done. And whether that's the, the best thing I could do or whether that will fit into a, a coalition arrangement is another question. Um, but what's clear is that We've spent a lot of time politicising education, you know, dealing with the curriculum, trying to shape the classrooms into these modern learning environments with three classrooms joined together, trying to change the way that teaching is done. Um, a whole lot of politicising of how schools are run, completely forgetting to ask the basic question, how many kids are showing up? How much are they learning? So if you look at the charter school model, we basically flip that script and said, if you're running the school, if the kids are showing up and learning, then we're not going to micromanage how you do it because you education professionals are the experts and we trust you to do it. And the check on that trust or the verification of that trust is the kids show up and make progress academically. I'd like to see those principles applied right across the education system. We're very interested in how many kids showed up and we want to know every day because it's an issue of national focus. Uh, second, we want more data, don't we? We want more data about attendance. We want yeah. more data about achievement. Yeah, and look, with charter schools, you know, every day the, the school management by 9.30 would know how many kids showed up and which kids didn't show up, and then they'd get stuck into trying to make figure out why they weren't coming and how to get them there. At the moment, many New Zealand schools don't report their attendance for an entire term, and when they're challenged, they say, oh, it's just so hard. Well, I'm sorry, that's, that's not acceptable. Uh, so we've got to get focused on, first of all, showing up, and second of all, where are the clear academic standards that have to be met? Uh, and finally, once we've done those things, uh, start saying, look, if someone thinks they can run a school better and achieve those standards, uh, then we should let them set up a charter school. Because often, the best ideas don't come from the Ministry of Education. In fact, having been in charge of part of the Ministry of Education in a past life as an undersecretary responsible for charter schools, I can tell you, um, I'm not sure the best ideas have ever come from the Ministry of Education. They're, they're out there in the community with people who know their kids, know their communities, and have more innovative ideas. But how important is it to get new leadership in the Ministry of Education? I would say that that is critical. Um, you know, you look at the way that they've performed recently, um, it, it really just hasn't been good enough. Uh, so I'm back, sorry, a small camera problem. 
Um, so look, it's it's absolutely essential that the the leadership in the ministry has changed. And I would say that the the Ministry of Education is restructured. So if you look at it now, you've got this big blob, forty four hundred people that work for the ministry. Uh, I think it would be better to say their job is to provide the funds um, and get out of the way. Um, the buildings should be managed by a separate organisation that's actually good at that because principals have constant problems with buildings dealing with the ministry, dealing with one as a local electorate MP right now. Um, and then there is the question of the assessment. Um, you know, the NZQA should be doing that but they should be able to get other curricula and other assessment systems such as IB or Cambridge if that's what they choose. Rich kids at rich schools get that. I think it should be a choice of qualifications at every school. Um, and then finally, who does the inspection? That's the Education Review Office, but they should be showing up randomly. You know, They, they shouldn't be doing an inspection every five years with weeks and weeks of notice. Um, so you, you know, imagine having an assessment uh, or a quality control and ERO uh, a choice of curricula, a buildings department that's just really good at property management, and then the Ministry of Education is there to give them the cash and get out of the way. And if you did those things, oh, and, and check the attendance, sorry. If you did those things, um, then I think we'd have a much better system. And yes, that that is a restructuring of the way that the ministry operates to get accountability for outcomes for the kids, which we don't have right now. Just and Right now, we've just got a big blob. Where charter schools are, can you... Can you pass law to almost entrench them so that a change of government back to the left won't get rid of them the way it happened in, in 2017? Well, the danger of, I mean, the thing about New Zealand is no parliament can can bind a future parliament. So you, you, any law you pass, the next parliament can just pass a different one. Um, so you can't do that. But what you can do is you can make it so big and so successful and have so many people invested in it that politically a future parliament won't want to. And that's certainly our goal. You see a role for Elwyn Paul in a future uh, education regime in this country? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've I've worked with Elwyn in the past and um, you know, he's a talented educator. He's a hell of a passionate uh, educator. Um, and uh, I find it pretty difficult to imagine New Zealand education without him. To the relationship with um, Winston Peters, is it going to be okay? Uh, well, let's let's see what the specials say. But look, ultimately, you know, my my position hasn't changed. Uh, you've got someone who's been in government four times. They've never done two consecutive terms in government. There's always been a problem, got sacked, resigned, kicked out of parliament by the voters, investigated by the ECFO, censored by the Privileges Committee. I mean, you know the story. Um, sure. So, you know, that's that's going to be pretty challenging, but um, we'll, we'll try our best um, to make it his um, most stable um, and cooperative term in government so far. Well, he's going to back you to the hilt over a treaty principles bill, isn't he? You know that. His number three was part of Hobson's choice, which has been pushing uh, for that for, for years. Well, I certainly hope that's the case. Um, but equally, uh, you know, you've you've got someone who has said that there are no principles of the treaty, so you shouldn't do it. Well, I'm sorry, but, you know, the principles are throughout New Zealand legislation. Um, they're guiding how a whole lot of people behave. So you can try and pretend they're not there. Um, you could, in theory, try and take them out of every piece of legislation. That would be another option. Um, or you can define the principles that everyone's talking about uh, to, to the advantage of a civil society. So, 
look, e even there, I mean, you'd, you'd hope you'd get support on that. Um, I'm not quite sure that we will. Um, but, you know, like I say, let's see what the specials uh, come out with. Uh, then let's be realistic about the track record of the guy and then try and make the, the best piece uh, and get the results that people voted for. Okay, I apologise for this then being a touch hypothetical. But if it, if it is a three-headed coalition and he's in government with you because there is a big overhang because of Maori Party uh, electorate success and that there might be six of their MPs uh, as electorate winners, Winston Peters and New Zealand First wants uh, a much more wide-ranging inquiry into the COVID response. Would you support that? Yeah, I mean, we've already put down how that should be done. Uh, there is a Royal Commission. Uh, the government has the ability to vary the terms of reference. And our problem, and we said at the time when the Royal Commission was put in place, that it had failed um, to properly consult people about what the right questions were. And the questions are mostly about how effective uh, the response was. They have omitted to ask what were uh, the impacts on people and the rest of society. And in that way, I think that the Royal Commission into COVID um, is a lot like uh, the actual response itself. Now, what can you do to fix that? Um, well, we would open up the terms of reference and we'd actually open up for public submissions on what the terms of reference should be. And that's 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 how the whole response should have been in the first place. It should have sought people's input. It should have listened to people. And I think what you'd find is people would, would want a lot more questions asked by the Royal Commission. Uh, they'd want questions about, well, you know, how does this thing work? Um, what's the what's the what's the impacts on social cohesion and mental health and the economy and school attendance? And then we'd put those questions back to the commission and say, hey, guys, you've got new terms of reference. You've got to answer these questions too. Um, yep. So, you know, we've got a ready-made way to achieve that. Uh, and I think that we'd get a much better Royal Commission and be much more prepared for future events like this. And there will be, hopefully not next year, hopefully not in the next 10 years, but in our lifetime, it will happen again. Uh, the a lot Royal of people has got to be prepared to do it better next time. A lot of people want... Questions asked about the safety and efficacy of the vaccine too, David. Surely that's got to be part of new terms of reference, doesn't it? Well, again, I mean, that's that's our point is that there are people that want that and that's why we'd open up and say, well, what terms of reference should there be and actually allow the Royal Commission to address the questions that people would like to have addressed um, rather than sort of saying, okay, you know, we've decided what the important questions are. They don't concern the impacts on you people. That's what the government's done. Uh, we've got to make it much more democratic. Very good. I thank you for your time this morning. I know that once upon a time in a former life, you coached some schoolboy rugby players at Auckland Grammar. Just before you go, any thoughts about the match in Paris on Saturday night, our time, Sunday morning, yours? Uh, look, the All Blacks have got the momentum. Um, you know, South Africa are tough. You saw their tenacity coming back from a seemed like they were gone against the English. Um, but no, the All Blacks have got huge momentum, um, and uh, I, I I fear for the for the Springboks in this in this instance. And a knighthood for Ian Foster afterwards. Well, he, I tell you what, he's um, he's been through the ringer, and uh, I think he he deserves a bit of recompense from uh, from a lot of people actually. Very good. I thank you for your time. Nice talking with you. No problem. See you later. Committed to fair debate and honest information, the Reality Check has arrived. RCR, Reality Check Radio.